Welcome to the Divorce Tribe Podcast. My name is Luke Mydell, and I created this weekly podcast to provide support and healing as you navigate the daily trials that accompany divorce. I have been where you are, I have walked that lonely road, and I'm hoping to share what I have learned and what I am still learning through others. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Welcome to episode 21, If I Could Turn Back Time, Forgiveness in Divorce. I i don't know why I started with Cher. I'm not a big Cher fan. I guess I like some of her older stuff, but uh, it's a good uh, title, so I just chose it. So this week we'll be discussing how to forgive both your ex and yourself for the things that happened during the divorce for the things that contributed to the divorce. And let me just say this, it has been a heck of an episode to prepare. I've struggled with it for a while because I'm not certain if forgiveness is necessary, and I don't want people to feel like they can't be angry and upset and sad about what happened in their marriage or their divorce, because you absolutely can. You know, I actually talked to my grandma about this today. She's been divorced for many, many years from my grandpa. They're both great people, but it took my grandma a while to forgive him for the things that led to their divorce. Yet when we were talking about this topic, she said that she struggled more with forgiving one of her close friends who contributed to everything that went down with the divorce more than her ex-husband, my grandpa. It was really interesting to think about that. I, I don't know, is it because you actively work towards recovering from what was done to you from an ex? Does that make it easier? Or is it because you eventually come to a point where you don't really care enough about your ex to be angry anymore and it makes following that forgiveness process easier? Either way, it's a tricky process. So let me tell you this one caveat. Forgiveness and your healing process is intensely personal. Do not feel like you need to forgive when you're not ready to forgive. Do not feel pressure to suppress those emotions that you're feeling. And when or if the time comes that you feel like you can start the forgiveness process, even realizing that is part of the process. That being said, forgiveness can be important to your healing. We tend to hold a lot of anger and resentment towards our ex when we feel we've been wronged in a divorce. And that's completely normal. Don't think you're doing something bad when that happens. It can be hard to forgive what happened when it impacted you so deeply, when it impacted your family, your friends, your kids so deeply. In addition, often things happen during the divorce process that really don't reflect our best selves. And after the fact, we can look back and we regret how we acted. We need to learn to let go of those things, or they can also hinder our healing. But in the same way, releasing that emotion can be very cathartic. Ultimately, forgiveness isn't about the person who wronged you. It's about lifting that burden from your own back. But before we delve into that, it's time for story time, where I discuss the current book I'm reading. So I specifically read a book related to this week's topic beforehand because I hadn't really worked towards forgiving what had happened before our divorce and during our divorce. Before our divorce, I was filled with a lot of anger and resentment and sadness. Now that has slowly faded, 
but I realized that I had never actively sought to forgive. So I decided to work on forgiveness, and the book I chose to read was suggested by someone on a Facebook group. It's titled Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turkhurst. Now, that title is important because there are many things that you cannot forget. There are moments during my divorce that I will never forget. The look on my daughter's face as we told her about the divorce, that first night when my world came crashing down, other crap that happened afterwards, I won't ever forget that, but I can work towards forgiveness. Either way, I'll be leaning heavily on this book during today's podcast because it was specifically written to address how to forgive those things that happen to you that you will never be able to forget. Now, before I share a specific part of the book for story time, let me just say that forgiveness, once again, is a continual process, just like healing from painful memories. You can put what happened behind you. You can forgive your ex and yourself for what happened in the divorce. But that doesn't mean that resentment will never surface again. That doesn't mean that you'll never feel angry for what happened once you forgive. So practice self-compassion when you feel those emotions, because it's a continual process and you'll continually need to work on it. Now, Lisa Turkhurst experienced something that many people who get divorced experience, her spouse cheating on her. And in this book, she goes through the emotions and struggles that she faced as she dealt with the despair, the hope, the desire for her husband to want to change, the hopelessness, and all of those emotions that go along with infidelity. In the initial chapter, she talked about the coping mechanisms that people use when going through a betrayal. For her, she was going to a therapy group, clinging to her Bible during the entire thing. Other people were talking about, you know, falling into drugs, drinking, Netflix, like me, for example, <laughs> casual sex, etc., as coping mechanisms. And then her counselor asked her a question, quote, And Lisa, let's talk about your coping mechanism. I smiled because I fully expected her to give me a pass on this round of therapy. She did not. Instead, she said, You hyper-spiritualize what you've been through to the point where you deny your feelings rather than actually deal with your pain. Ouch. No pass on this round. I wanted to glare at her and dismiss her. But honestly, she was right. Her statement peeled back all my posturing and positivity and pretending. Eventually, here's what I had to ask myself. Am I processing life through the lens of the way I want it to be, or the way it actually is? Coping mechanisms, like being overly positive or hyper-spiritual, or using substances to numb out, may get us through the short term, but in the long run they don't help us cope. They keep us stuck at the point of our unhealed pain. At some point we must stop replaying what happened over and over, taking what was actually terrible in the past and tricking ourselves into thinking it was better than it was, and three, imagining the way things should be so much that we can't acknowledge what is. We can't live in an alternate reality and expect what's right in front of us to get better. We can only heal what we're willing to acknowledge is real." End quote. Now, this chapter really hit home with me because of how close it came to my coping mechanisms when I was going through my divorce. My initial response when I first heard the disturbing news was to hyper-spiritualize everything, to cling to religion like it was my last hope. And when things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to, I felt betrayed by God. 
Now, I've since realized I clung too much to that. And I also used Netflix to sleep during those initial months. Those were good coping mechanisms that eventually had to go away. In the short term, they may be necessary, but in the long run, we need to find other long-term coping mechanisms that are healthier. So uh, Lisa Turkhurst follows this up with a C.S. Lewis quote. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Now, this works both ways, forgiving those who wronged us, but also forgiving ourselves for what happened during those tough times when we were not at our best emotionally. You know, I'm going to share this story that is a little shameful to me because it doesn't really reflect who I am, but divorce is one of those things that can bring out the worst in us. So, for those of you who know me, you know that I rarely cuss. And when I do cuss, it's dams and hells and the minor craps. For the most part, I rely on my tried-and-true dang-it, flippin', flibberty gibbet and the always-appropriate just exclamation of GAH! I had never said the F-word before divorce had entered the picture, but when the figurative crap hit the figurative fan, I had decided that I needed to leave when my ex first told me she had some news that would end up ending our marriage. I went over this story already. I had spent the night wandering the streets before crashing at my parents' house in the morning, and then waking and walking some more before making a very conscious decision regarding what I was going to do about the news I received. I was struggling mentally to handle what had happened, and to show my ex how much it hurt me, I needed to leave her. She had been spending much of her time away from the house, away from me, away from our kids, and a part of me thought that this is my right, it's my turn to leave. And so I made that conscious decision. I was going to go home, I was going to pack a bag, and basically live in my Honda Pilot for a couple weeks without any contact with my ex. Just thinking about what happened, getting some time to come to grips with this new reality that was basically forced upon me. And ultimately to make a decision what I was going to do. So I came home and I started packing a bag. My plan was to live in my car, shower at the gym at my work, and basically drop off the face of the planet for a couple weeks. So I had my bag packed, and I went out to where my kids were in the family room, and I sat down. I told them I loved them, that I would be leaving for a bit. They knew that something was seriously wrong because we had spent the night before in the church lobby holding each other, crying in the dark. My son had told me, I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm just so sad. And I told him through tears, I know. Um, but know that you know I will always love you. You two will always be my number one priority, no matter what happens. And they had no idea what was happening at the time. The next afternoon, as I sat there with my bag, telling my kids I love them, giving them hugs, I suddenly heard the garage door open and a car drive out of the driveway. I went out and my wife had snuck away while I was talking to my kids. I was furious. It was my time, my right to leave. It was my right to have this decision that I had made, this conscious decision to take some time by myself, to ponder what I was going to do. I had already gone through so much crap, and it culminated in this. So I went out to the garage, and I called her. 
where are you? I'm going to stay at a friend's house. And for the first time in my life, I said, you fudger. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words, the F dash 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 word. Yep. I called my wife a very bad word. I had spent 15 years without calling her any names except, you know, honeybee, cutie, beautiful, opening the car door for her. And here I was in extreme crisis mode, and I yelled something at her I had never said before. Now, that's not who I am. That's not who I was. I immediately regretted it. But that didn't stop me from yelling at her over the phone, asking her who the hell she thought she was sneaking out as I was hugging my kids goodbye. That conversation is a blur. I can't remember much about it after that, but I went back inside and I sat down next to my kids and I told them, it looks like mom is leaving for a bed. And for the next couple days, it was me and my kids in survival mode. Now, a lot of crap went on during my divorce, a lot of crap that I've had to focus on this past while as I sought to forgive. But in this instance, there were two things. I felt like I needed to forgive my ex for what happened. And two, I had to forgive myself for how I acted. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> what I said, what I did was warranted. But it was also out of character. And I felt bad about it. Now, I'm on episode 21, and I'm only now talking about forgiveness. And it's probably evident why. After experiencing things in your divorce that you never thought you would have to deal with, forgiveness can be hard. Whether it's forgiving yourself for being a jackass or forgiving your ex for their part in the process. Now, in divorce, there are so many things that you can be angry at. Infidelity, abuse, anger, resentment, fighting, name-calling. For some people, it's the things that are said about you in court. And so it took me a while to figure this one out. And to be honest, I still haven't figured it out. When I was trying to save my marriage after, you know, this initial bit of information came to light, I was reading about forgiveness and compassion. And I thought I had reached a point of forgiveness with cautious optimism. But that came crashing down again when some other stuff came to light that had happened during that year we were working towards healing and therapy and church. And suddenly I was worf worse off than I was before. So I'm going to focus on a few different things in this podcast. One, I'm going to go over the definition of forgiveness. Two, I'm going to answer the question of whether forgiveness is necessary. I guess I'm not going to be answering the question, but I will be delving into it a bit. Three, I'm going to talk about how people seek forgiveness for the wrongs they committed. Four, I'm going to talk about forgiveness from a religious perspective. And finally, five, how we can work towards forgiving someone who wronged us. In this case, it will mostly be your exes or your soon-to-be exes. So, what is forgiveness? The dictionary defines it as the action or process of forgiving or being forgiven. Now, isn't that so helpful? 
So I found a different definition that goes along with the psychology of forgiveness. Uh, Berkeley.edu defines it with more depth because the dictionary definition doesn't really get to the meat of what forgiveness is. Berkeley.edu defines it as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. Now, that's a very important distinction, because there are many offenses that should never be condoned or excused. Now, let's look at some of the important words in that definition. The first one, deliberate. It's not just something that happens. It's a deliberate decision that we make. Another word, release. We are actually working toward releasing those feelings of resentment or vengeance. And then another phrase, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. And that's very important. It's a good distinction to make because what actually makes someone deserve forgiveness? I don't know. Now, I grew up in a very religious household and forgiveness was always a yearly topic. How it is necessary should always be sought how we make amends and seek forgiveness, how we should forgive others. So about a year ago, I started reading the book I quoted earlier, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, and I brought the book with me to a therapy session. I told my therapist, hey, I started reading it. I want to learn how to forgive my ex for some of the things that happened during my divorce. My therapist immediately said, I'm not sure forgiveness is always necessary. Why do you want to forgive your ex for what she did? Now, this, this kind of took me by surprise because of my religious background. I'd never questioned whether forgiveness was actually necessary. I had just taken it at face value that at some point you needed to forgive those who wronged you. And from a religious perspective, it goes beyond that. It's often considered a sin not to forgive. And so I started looking into it a bit more deeply. The one thing that most everyone agrees on is that forgiveness can be helpful in healing when it is warranted. The question is, when is it actually warranted? So I found this article on Psychology Today, and this is what it says about forgiveness. As Maria Mayo writes in The Limits of Forgiveness, forgiveness has limits, and victims may be morally and religiously correct in refusing to embrace forgiveness in some cases. Properly questioned and carefully negotiated, forgiveness stands to resolve differences and secure a better future than what came before. Imposed on victims who already suffer, however, it becomes but another burden with its emotional demands and promise to restore toxic or even dangerous relationships. Now, this article goes on to mention abuse and trauma, specifically inflicted on the author in her abusive marriage. So for the author, forgiveness for the abuse she faced in her own marriage is not a term she accepts or uses. She doesn't want to restore that toxic or even dangerous relationship. She doesn't want to do that at all. Instead, she says that understanding and acceptance was something that she processed. Quote, One must get to a place of understanding. Then can come acceptance of what was and what is. One does not have to be condemned to continue self-defeating choices and a life of bitterness. 
For the victim, the victim must come to an understanding of why she made the choices she made, why she did not set limits, use her own voice. It is not the act of therapeutically forgiving that will set one free. It is understanding and self-reflection of one's own self and one's own vulnerabilities that allows for future better choices. Now, continuing this thought, another article by Mariana Bakarova that's titled Why We Don't Always Need to Forgive mentions that often a victim feels additional shame and guilt by not being able to forgive. They've gone through trauma, abuse, or in some cases their children have experienced abuse and trauma, and then they feel bad that they can't forgive the person who abused them or their loved ones, and that makes them feel worse. Once again, in this case, forgiveness is not necessary. Understanding and acceptance is a more appropriate term. Quote, There is need to understand and to accept, and there is need to hold the wrongdoer accountable, if even by laying the blame where it ought to be in conversation with a therapist or friend. There is need to grieve the idea of what could or should have been. There is need to love the younger self who has endured the hardship, and there is need to make a plan to move forward. So, in some cases, forgiveness isn't necessary. You still need to do work to understand what happened, to accept what happened, and to heal from what happened. But you shouldn't feel bad for not forgiving the perpetrator. Now, let's move on to what if you are the cause of the divorce? What if you were the cheater? What if you were the one who was uh, abusive? If you were calling your ex names or things like this? At this point, although this diverges from some advice I've read, I don't think you should be the one asking for forgiveness. That places a burden on the victim that is not theirs to bear. But there are steps that you can take to repair whatever wrongs you committed. One, you must understand what you did wrong. So how did you actually hurt this other person? Two, you must admit that what you did was wrong. Three, you must apologize. This takes remorse and actually feeling bad for your actions. In religious terms, it's something called feeling godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11, quote, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. What readiness to see justice done. End quote. Four, you must try to repair to the best of your ability the damage that was done. This isn't always possible, but try your best. And then five, you must learn from what you did wrong so you don't do it again. And then apologize, apologize, apologize. Now, let me just make something clear. Asking for forgiveness in some situations is good and warranted. But in a divorce situation, it's up to you to repair what you can. But really, and I, I like your honest opinion on this, for me, I feel like asking for forgiveness is more to benefit the perpetrator rather than the victim. And so in my opinion, you shouldn't be asking for forgiveness. If the victim feels so inclined to forgive, that's up to them. But it's not a burden that they should carry. So just leave it unsaid, and if they move towards that. That's their own business. Now, I just want to touch on that quickly. Let's move on to forgiveness from a religious perspective. 
I'm changing focus from what we just talked about, from the perpetrator who is seeking forgiveness to the victim who is seeking to forgive. From a Christian perspective, forgiveness is necessary, and it is possible even in extreme situations. To illustrate this possibility, I'm going to share the story of Chris Williams. In 2007, Chris Williams was traveling home at night with his pregnant wife and three of his four children when they were hit by a 17-year-old drunk driver. This driver crossed over the median and hit their car. As Chris strained in his seat to see his children, he immediately knew that one of his sons and his young daughter were dead. He then turned to see his pregnant wife exhale one last time. Quote, What I was witnessing was absolutely unreal. I couldn't take it anymore. I turned my head forward and closed my eyes. I was ready for death. I tried to will myself to pass out. I wanted to succumb to the process of having my spirit leave my body. From deep inside my body came a sound of excruciating anguish and pain, of body and spirit being crushed. It was more profound than just feeling helpless or powerless or feeling physical pain. As I struggled to make it stop, I opened my eyes and turned to look out the driver's side window. I saw the car that had just hit us resting upside down on its roof about 50 feet from my car. Suddenly, an immense peace and silence filled the inside of the vehicle, my soul and my thoughts. I had no idea who had just hit us, and my mind didn't think to consider if they were all right or not, or what circumstances might have caused them to cross the median and strike us. I simply looked at the car in silence. My thoughts went quiet. I felt at peace. And then I heard a voice that was not my own in my mind, as clearly as if it had come from someone seated next to me. It wasn't a peaceful, whispered voice nor was it the still, small prompting of the Spirit. It was straightforward and filled with power, and the voice said, Let it go. I fixed my eyes on the overturned car. I immediately felt an enabling power beyond my own, healing and enlarging my crushed soul. I knew exactly what I had to do, and exactly what those three words meant. Regardless of whoever had been driving the other car, and regardless of whatever the circumstances behind this tragedy were, this was not my burden to carry. I was commanded, in no uncertain terms, not to try to pick it up. End quote. So Chris went on to meet the young man who had caused the accident and shared his forgiveness directly with him. This act of forgiveness not only helped Chris move on, yes, still mourning, Yes, still missing his wife and his children, but it helped him to move on. He shared this last scripture in an article he wrote, quote, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, end quote. This illustrates how forgiveness is more about letting go of the burden rather than continuing to carry it. Forgiveness is possible. If Chris Williams can forgive this drunk driver who impacted his life so deeply, 
I can forgive my ex for the things that led to her divorce. I can forgive myself for cussing her out. I can forgive, but it takes work. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, I forgive you. Because there are nights when the emotions and memories suddenly swell up, and you're back in that same moment you were in months or even years ago. From a scriptural perspective, we have the story of Peter who asked Jesus, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then we have cry, Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says this about the people who are crucifying him. He says this after having gone through the agony of the atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane, an act where he paid the price to allow everyone to repent and seek forgiveness. Now I'm going to bring out one thing that is common through these scriptures, the Lord's capacity to forgive. We are often so hard on ourselves for the mistakes we make that we think that we aren't worthy of asking forgiveness, asking for forgiveness or seeking forgiveness, that we cannot be forgiven. But the Lord does not speak idly. If he says we should forgive 70 times 7, it means he has the same capacity within him. Forgiveness for us 70 times 7. So we see through these scriptures and this story that if we reach that point where we are ready to follow a path towards forgiveness, that is possible. Is it easy? Not always. Chris Williams was able to forgive this driver before he knew all the details, but that doesn't mean he didn't struggle with anger, sadness, grief, and loss. And even though I'm over three years post-divorce with a positive co-parenting relationship with my ex, I still feel moments of anger and sadness grief and loss, especially for my kids. Forgiveness isn't a one-and-done action. It takes time and effort, and you might feel forgiveness one day and then rage and anger the next day. But as those days become less and less frequent, your capacity to forgive can grow. So what are some of the steps that we can take to find that forgiveness? One, we need to realize that forgiveness is for your healing. It's not owed to whoever hurt you. It's not conditional upon them making changes. It's so that you can remove this burden and find peace in your life. In her book, Lisa says, quote, I must separate my healing from others, repentance or lack thereof. My ability to heal cannot be conditional on them wanting my forgiveness, but only on my willingness to give it. And I have to separate my healing from any of this being fair. My ability to heal cannot be conditional on the other person receiving adequate consequences for their disobedience, but only on my obedience to trust God's justice whether I ever see it or not. End quote. Now this is such an important point because it's much easier to feel forgiveness if the person who wronged you truly feels remorse for their actions and recognizes the harm that it did in your life. But even if they don't feel that remorse, if they don't make changes in their life, Healing is about you. It's about removing the burden from your shoulders. Two, we have to recognize the pain that we have felt. We also need to recognize the anger we feel. We can't just shove it aside. This may take time because it's hard to function early on when all we feel is intense emotional pain and anger for what we've been through. 
One of my early coping mechanisms that was taught to me by my therapist was the three A's. Acknowledge the emotion or feeling head on. Accept it and recognize why you are feeling that way. And then act on it. For me, she said that action can be telling myself that I would address it at a later time. And so this is what I did early on. And it really did help during those initial months. Eventually, I took a mindfulness class and they went further. They encouraged me to sit with negative emotions and feelings rather than pushing them away. That helped me even more as I was able to look at the emotion, really feel it, and not shove it away to be dealt with at a later time. There's something truly healing about being able to sit with pain and sorrow and analyzing it rather than just suppressing it. Three, directly from the book, recognize that, quote, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. You make the decision to forgive the facts of what happened, but then you must walk through the process of forgiveness for the impact those facts have had on you, end quote. Now, this is important because it's the impact of what happened that continues to impact you after the fact of what happened. For example, someone who has a spouse that cheated, the cheating was the fact. The impact of that cheating, the emotional turmoil, the continuing pain, the loss of trust, the breakup of families, all of that is the impact of the cheating. And that can continue to plague you for years to come. So you can forgive the fact, cheating, but even after that, you will continue to face the impacts of that fact the rest of your life. I think that's one of the reasons forgiveness is so hard and a continual process rather than a one-and-done thing, because you continue to feel that impact long after the fact. Now, realize that forgiveness doesn't remove that pain, all of that pain. If we feel pain and anger after we thought we had achieved forgiveness, that doesn't mean we have failed. It just means that the impact of what happened is still a part of our life and will continue to be a part of our life. But let me offer one point of relief. Over time, as we follow those steps to forgive, as we follow the steps to heal, the feelings associated with that impact can be lessened. We can feel better. Four, we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Recognize the part we played in the divorce, if we did play a part. Just throwing that caveat in there for some of you. And then show some sympathy or empathy. In, even if what the other person did is an inexcusable in your mind, it's helpful to look through their past and recognize how they could have arrived at where they are. What part of their childhood or experiences played in the decisions they made. This was helpful for me. I had a certain upbringing, and with that upbringing came certain beliefs and assumptions my ex experienced things throughout her childhood that influenced her actions later in life. Does that excuse her from any consequences? Does that lessen the impact that the decision she made had in my life? No, but it does help me feel empathy for the experiences she had in life that led to her decisions. Five, ask for help achieving forgiveness. Actively seek it out through prayer. Ask God to help you forgive that person. It's difficult. It's not an easy roadmap provided in the scriptures that says, hey, follow these specific steps and you'll be able to forgive. No. Mariana Bakarova, once again in a Psychology Today article, describes forgiveness as, quote, a complex psychological phenomenon involving both situational and individual factors, end quote. 
It's like trying to take a novel like War and Peace and condensing it into a Dick and Jane children's book. So, not that easy. Six, finally recognize as you start to forgive so that you see the progress you're making. Here's where your divorce journal and your divorce tribe can help. We tend not to see those small improvements that we have, the small victories. We notice more the faults, the inadequacies in our own personalities, in our own lives. So we may not recognize the progress that we are actually making. By looking back or by having someone else on our team who can remark how far we've come along, it can help us recognize the progress we've made towards forgiveness. Now, this is by no means a comprehensive list of to-dos as it relates to forgiveness. For some people, this process may take an entirely different approach. For some people, it may be quick. For others, it may take much longer. And for others still, they may decide that forgiveness is not what they are seeking. They are instead seeking understanding and acceptance of what happened. Now, let me close with this. It's just another reiteration of what I said in the beginning of this podcast. Forgiveness is deeply personal and should come, if you choose to, in your own timeline. Few of us can forgive like Chris Williams the moment he realized what was lost. But realize this as well. Chris Williams wasn't alone. He had a father in heaven who helped him. He had a community that surrounded and supported him. And we have the same resources. Reach out to your Father in Heaven if you need help forgiving. Reach out to your divorce tribe for help in recognizing your healing. Now, as you do this, and when you're ready, you can follow the forgiveness process, which can be a helpful step in your healing. (sighs) Now, (laughs) I thought I would never get this episode done, but now it's out there for my Next podcast, I have Lighter Fair. I've gone through movies and books and the like to see how divorce is portrayed in pop culture. From Lighter Fair like Mrs. Doubtfire to Heavy Fair like The Squid in the Well. I'll be pulling out gems and discussing how accurate I feel like divorce is portrayed. (laughs) That's important because it's from my perspective. Some people may have a different opinion and all of our divorce experiences are completely different. So... Uh, there you go. Thank you for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please like and subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others who could use support and healing. Visit thedivorcetribe.com for more resources to help you through your divorce, and follow me at The Divorce Tribe on Instagram to be notified when new episodes and content are released. Remember, you are not alone. We are part of the same tribe, the Divorce Tribe. Until next time.